This episode of the Pursuit Podcast is presented by Fisher Skis. What is up, everybody? Mr. Adam X. You're listening to the Pursuit Podcast on the Auto Collective. Some of you may notice I am trying to go viral on TikTok and Instagram, and I'm failing miserably. But what do we do when we fail? We fail while trying. So I'm going to keep flooding everyone's phones, social medias with horrible social media content. Um, just really hoping that you guys join in on the fun. So as always, I guess I'm going to ask you for help. Heart my videos, please. Follow at Mr. Adamax on Twitter. Follow Pursuit Podcast on TikTok. And follow Mr. Adamax on Instagram. I know it's stupid. I've got a bunch of different ones, but that's just how it is right now. Follow them. Like things. Leave comments. Like, that makes people happy. Can't we just make people happy while we're being sad? Just double tap things. Share things. Tell your friends you love them. Call your mom. I don't know. That's where I got. That's where I'm at right now. It's August 17th, which means like we're really close to October, which means we're really close to skiing. I'm starting to think about it. It's crazy how a week changed things because last week I was not thinking about it. And now I'm thinking about it. Speaking of thinking about it, I want to talk about one of my first sponsors this week, onxmaps.com, specifically Onyx Backcountry. Plan and discover hikes near you. There's over 650,000 of miles of trails, uh, over 10,000 adventures, and that's growing. Uh, my favorite thing about the app is being able to travel and find local trailheads, find hot spots of where people are riding, where they're hiking. It's literally a guidebook in your po- pocket. Uh, if you're a big fan of off-road, check out Onyx Off-Road for dirt biking, overlanding. And if you're a hunter, I know hunting season's coming up, check out Onyx Hunt. Um, get the app. It's so good. Go to onyxmaps.com. Use code Autobounds. Save a couple bucks on your yearly subscription. It's really a no-brainer for anyone who's in the outdoors. They literally make apps for the outdoors, and it couldn't be an easier app to use and navigate and it's literally every time i go on it it just gets better and better and better to my second sponsor this week this week woodchuck cider specifically cider stock it's august 20th couple days away headliners or bleachers you guys know it you love it i want to get better Uh, it's the slogan of my life love 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 the bleachers it's going to be an absolute party there's still some tickets available so head over to woodchucksiderstock.com get yourself some tickets and we'll see you there now that we've gotten through a couple ads i actually have a couple more um i've got some mid rolls this week and i'm there's a code floating in there for something i've been talking about for a little bit uh, so I'm excited for you guys to hear the mid-roll, but before we get to any of that, I want to talk about my guest this week, such a fantastic human being, Michael Wardian. War- War- I don't know why I have a hard time saying that. Um, every time I read his name, I'm really not sure how to say it. So he says it in the opening, and it's Michael Wardian. Uh, he is a husband, a father, a ship broker, an elite runner, an ultra runner, a speaker, a running coach, a chess player, a pickleball player. He is a Guinness 
world record holder, multiple. Uh, he's 48 years young, does not seem to be missing a beat. He's continuing to learn, grow, and his outlook on life was so fantastic. So I hope you all enjoy this episode as much as I did. Sure, man. Uh, my name is Michael Wardian. I'm a 48-year-old professional marathon and ultra-marathon runner from Arlington, Virginia. I do all different types of events, uh, primarily running, but I also do uh, cycling events. I do CrossFit. I do pickleball. I do beekeeping. I'm a avid chess player trying to increase my rating there. Um, I'm a dad to two teenagers with my wife Jennifer and our two Vishlas, Rosie and Bash. And um, I'm an adventurer at heart. Um, so yeah, that's that's kind of me in a nutshell. You didn't even mention pickleball. I did mention pickleball. Oh, did you? I didn't hear it. I was like waiting oh, yeah, for the dude. pickleball. Oh, dude, no, man. I'm trying to go pro in pickleball at the moment. So that's like my newfound passion as of May of last year. I've already like increased from like the beginner courts to uh to playing in uh, my first four point tournament last weekend where i got a bronze medal in uh singles and a silver medal in uh doubles so pretty well, pumped about the congrats on that and, yeah man and hoping to you know link up with some pickleball companies uh coming up here in the near future surprise everybody this whole podcast is gonna be about pickleball now <laughs> dude yeah man we can i i'm uh i'm happy to talk about pickleball as much as as much as anything else for sure i want to talk about it because it's it's recently been like blipping on my on my radar for some reason people are talking about it i've heard there's there's like three kind of elite leagues right now and they're all like fighting to become like the quote unquote like NFL of pickleball. Yeah, man. It's like Thunderdome, except like, I think there, I thought there was only two. There so might two be two. Enter, Don't quote only, me. Only one may exit, you know, but uh, hope, hopefully like there's enough for everybody to go around. Maybe it'll be a merger like the AFL NFL. What? Or no, a AFC NFC. AFC like, NFC. Yeah, yeah. AFC yeah, yeah. NFC. What? Why is there this sudden pop in pickleball? Well, first, what is pickleball? Like, I have a loose understanding, but, like, let's define pickleball right off the bat. Yeah, cool, man. Uh, so pickleball is um, usually played on a tennis court, and it's kind of, uh, if you know the service boxes on a tennis court, it's kind of a little bit longer than the service boxes, and it's kind of a cross between tennis and ping pong, um, where the players are almost like, imagine if you were, like, uh, a player on a ping pong table. Um, so it's like okay. most of the time it's played like four people. So like, uh, and it's primarily at the moment, it's a, a sport that the older population kind of uh, got in touch with first. Um, and so like, it's primarily a lot of um, people that are retired or uh, semi-retired that have, that started playing. And it's like huge in like places like Scottsdale, like, or Florida, like Margaritaville. There's a place called the Villages. They have like a hundred courts. It's like Mecca for like uh, pickleball. And like, you know, now it's like even you're seeing it on like Tennis Channel and uh, there's places popping up. Like in Kansas City, there's a restaurant called Chicken and Pickle that has it. And like, um, but it's it's just a super fun game. It's super easy to learn. Um, it's a game that you can play with like anybody. Um, like I play with our 
Suns, uh, Pierce and Grant, they're 13 and 16, and we can play against some of the best players and still competitive and fun, right? Like, um, you know, as you get to a certain level, it's, it's more like chess or something where it's not as much fun to, you know, play people that aren't quite the same level. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's easy to learn. It's quick. It's fair. Uh, it's competitive and, um, yeah, at the end of the day, it's just, it's, it's just really fun and exciting. Does the ball, does it like, do you bounce it or does it just volley like a volleyball? Oh, interesting. Yeah. So it's the same kind of principle as tennis where it's a ball. It's actually a wiffle ball. So it's like a a yellow wiffle ball and you play with like oversized ping pong paddles basically, or short tennis paddles. Uh, but they're more like a oversized ping pong paddle. Um, and you get, uh, you get serves like you would in, in ping pong, you get one, one serve, you only score on your serve. Uh, you have to serve from one side of the court to the other side, diagonally into the box. Uh, it gets returned. And then there's all kinds of like different rules where you can't, you got to actually let it bounce on the, on the return of serve. So it makes it a little bit fair. The defense actually has an advantage rather than the server. And you have to serve under your waist so that you can't just pound it like in tennis. (coughs) And then, um, you play to 11 normally, um, and you got to win by two. Why pickleball? Like where did, where did this fascination come from? For me? Or yeah, for, for you, for you, for you. Uh, um, for me, it was, uh, I, I, I feel like it's kind of like you were saying, like you, it was kind of like, I heard the word and I was like, that just sounds dumb. Like, as far <laughs> as like, I don't, I don't know what it is. It's kind of like when I first heard about like, someone could run uh, 50 miles. I was like, that doesn't seem like it's a real thing. Um, And then pickleball is like, oh, that's just the sport the old people play, you know? And like, I would see old people at the park, like, you know, and they were, they were, yeah, looking like they were having a blast. And I was like, wow, that looks interesting. Um, And so then my friend uh, that he was actually one of the first guys I ever started running with this guy, Rick Poppleton, uh, belonged to a country club at the beach called, uh, Kings Creek country club in Rehoboth beach in Delaware. And he's like, Hey, I'm going to play pickleball. You want to come? And so I was like, sure, man, I've heard about it. And so, uh, literally my kids and I went to Walmart, got the cheapest paddles that we could. (laughs) So we ended up with like these card, like, like plywood paddles, uh, went to Kings Creek and I was like, man, this is amazing. Um, and, and at that point I was, I was pretty much hooked. I was like, I could see like how, you know, just within 10 minutes of playing, how much better I'd gotten and how much, uh, fun it was. And like, I could see the possibilities. And so within a day I had, uh, my wife actually, Jennifer had ordered some paddles on Amazon. So like, uh, we got like, you know, the 5,000, review paddles that, uh, (laughs) everybody starts with. Like, it's so funny now that I've played for like a year and I have like, you know, $250 paddles or whatever. Like, uh, I go to the courts and I'm like, Oh, those people just started. They have the, you know, the Amazon paddles or whatever. And it's kind of like interesting, like to get into a whole new sport where you're kind of learning everything fresh, you know, it's kind of like, uh, when you first started running or cycling or whatever, you would see the people show up with their, you know, brand new kit and you just kind of chuckle, you know, they don't know how to snap their hydration pack or like, uh, 
um, you know, they, they, they've got goo, but they can't get the, they can't open it. You know what I mean? Like, they're like, ah, how does this thing work? You know? Um, so like, that's, that's the kind of stuff where like, I'm, I'm still a little bit in that, you know, in that I haven't customized my paddle with like lead tape or like, uh, taking the overgrip off, but I am starting to like, think about, you know, filing stuff down and, um, you know, kind of making, making everything my own. And so like, you know, I, and, and the goal is to go pro. So like, you know, that's why I started playing in tournaments, starting to kind of earn, earn my way up the ranks. Uh, it's kind of a point system like tennis, which I didn't know anything about until I started. So you get, basically, if you're just starting, you're like a 2.5. If you've been playing a little bit, you kind of know what the rules are. You're three point. If you can hit most of the shots, but you're inconsistent, you're like three, five. If you hit a lot of the shots, most of the time, you're like a four point. It goes to four, five, five is basically almost pro. And then five and above is basically pro. So like I'm at four now. Um, so I'm, you know, I've made a bunch of progress within a year, but, uh, and that's with, you know, taking a couple of months off to run across the country. So really happy with my progress and uh, excited to like, you know, be in a bunch of good groups. Uh, what I didn't expect was how much drama there was like in just like, you know, getting people to play with and like, you know, personalities and like, but it's, it's no different than in running groups or anything like that. You know, like the people that, Oh, I don't want to run with that person. Cause you know, they show up late or, you know, I don't know, whatever. Um, so, um, yeah, yeah, that, that's been interesting kind of navigate that new kind of terrain. Yeah. I see that. So I, I do some work for the pro volleyball tour, uh, AVP. Oh, no way. Yeah. That's awesome. Okay. And a lot of those, a lot of the volleyball players are starting to do some pickleball stuff on the side. That's where I like started hearing about it. Cause they're just athletes and it's fun. And, but right. yeah, you, yeah. it's funny that you say about like finding someone to play with those athletes switch teammates like every other month. And it's like, uh, oh, in volleyball, you in mean, volleyball, in... because it's oh, just yeah, drama. Yeah. It's just like, it's just drama. It's hilarious. And it's just human nature, like whatever. But like, it's really bizarre because a lot the volleyball is based off points. So you'll see like a yeah. lot of old guys who have like a million points. And then they'll like have a rookie who doesn't have any points, but combined they have enough to get into the tournament. So right, like right, the, right. the young guns use the old guys to get in and then they like, yeah. once they have enough, then they flip. But it's really funny because it's like the teams that stay together just dominate because they just know where each other are going to be at all times. Like that's the point of having a team. So it's yeah, really... exactly. Well, and it's kind of like that in pickleball too, is like you got, once you get a, a teammate that you really like, um, you, 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 yeah, you, you do have an advantage if you can stay together and then you can talk well, like I played in a tournament this weekend with a guy I didn't really know, and we did really well, but had we, you know, played together before the, the day of the tournament, we probably would have had a better chance to win. We played two guys that were in their sixties and, you know, we had more athleticism, but they like, they just had more tournament experience. Like they timed out, they timed us out. Like they, you know, called a timeout when we were on a hot streak and then they like slow rolled a couple balls, you know, like picking them up just to break our momentum and just did a, like, like the little things, you know, that, that just make all the difference. It's kind of like being efficient as a runner. Like when I come into an aid station, I throw my bottles down and you know, my crew hands me what I need. Whereas like somebody that's just starting might come in and be like, 
I don't know. Do I want Oreos? I don't know. Do I want, um, you know, five things of saltines? I'm not sure. And like, I'm already like, you know, two or three minutes down the road. And so like, you know, that's just part of getting experience and that's fine. I, I don't mind paying my dues. It's just like that. That's how I started in running. And, you know, that's how it'll be with pickleball. And the same when I go to a chess tournament and get my butt kicked by an eight-year-old, you know, it's like, <laughs> it's just, it's just part of the learning curve. How we're not just going to talk about pickleball this whole time, I promise. But how no, di- how different you've had a whole career in running, which we're going to get very deep into. But now you're later in your career and continuing your career, but almost evolving or changing into a team sport. How different is that for your just dynamic of running's an individual sport? It's very selfish. It's you know it takes a team or it takes a village to win things usually your wife your kids you know we'll give them well your sponsors yeah right I mean, but yeah all all those things your crew yeah i mean depending on what type of race it is but yeah for sure but how different is now working with a teammate oh it's it's awesome and and i feel like it, it you do have teammates and training partners i mean i feel like it, it, it's almost like a training partner at the level i'm at now you know because uh, you know, we're all trying to go, my friend, Jimmy says, we're all trying to go uptown together, you know? So like, uh, I'm in this group called the Arlington iron paddles and like everyone's goal is to get to the next level. And so like, you know, we're working hard to, you know, beat each other out on the court, but we're also like, there's a 18 year old kid that taught me how to do a spin serve, uh, because he was whooping my ass with it. And I was like, Hey Dylan, can you teach me how to do that? And so like, I think everyone's in it together to try to get better. And like, we all cheer for each other. And and I don't think it's any different than being on, you know, the, the Hoka team or the goo elite team or anything like that. Like, you know, when we're out there racing against each other, you know, we're, we're trying to do our best and, and, you know, and, and beat the other person, but we're also trying to get each other to the finish line and help each other. I mean, I think you probably know like in an ultra like if you and i were running next to each other and you didn't have any water i'm not gonna not give you some of my water you know just to beat you you know like i would definitely kind of you know share share the you know share what i had and and make sure that you know we all get there safely and i feel like it's the same with with pickleball it's like we we all want to get better and yeah they might hit me in the face with a pickleball to get a point but i mean no hard feelings that's just part of the game i should have had my paddle there yeah, I mean, your attitude is like a clear indication of your success at, I think you said 48 years old and I don't want to age anybody here, but like, you're not this young, you know, cocky, like you find at least talking to you for this 20 minutes, you find power and strength and learning and continuing to grow. And that's clearly why you've had so much success in your entire running career. Yeah. I mean, I feel like you have to have an adaptive mindset, right? Like you have to be willing to change. And, um, you know, when I first started, I was running a lot of roads and got into trails, um, because I wanted to explore what that was like. And I've always continued to evolve as an athlete and a person. And, and I want to continue to do that. And, um, you know, I think this is just an evolution of that, uh, pursuit for new and different and exciting things and a different way to challenge myself. And, um, yeah, I'm looking forward to the opportunities as they arise. And, um, I'm not afraid to work. I'm not afraid to work hard too. I think that's, you know, part of it, you know, when I'm out there playing four to six hours of pickleball day and, and doing some run training on top of that. And, 
strength training and, and all the other stuff I need to do. Like, you know, that's, that's just part of the, part of the deal. And, and, you know, I'm, I'm excited about, you know, what that's going to look like going forward. So let's backtrack a bit. Where does young Michael find running? Like, where does this, oh, what does this look like? Yeah, I, it was kind of accidental. And, um, as, as I was growing up, I played a sport called lacrosse. Um, I played, uh, in high school in Northern Virginia for Oakton high school, um, got recruited to play lacrosse at Michigan state along with a bunch of other places, but chose Michigan state to play division one lacrosse at that time. They had a D one program. That was my dream since I was like fifth grade, I think was to play division one. Uh, decided to play at Michigan State, um, played there for three years and um, stopped running because I wanted to go on spring break um, my senior year. Uh, so I, 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 I stopped playing lacrosse so I could go on spring break and picked up running kind of just to stay fit to kind of fill that void of, you know, being used to working out three to four hours a day, you know, lifting, getting ready for practice, practicing. Um, and I was like, wow, 45 minute run. I feel pretty, pretty happy with how I, how I feel after that. Um, and then, uh, got lucky, man. I, I went to, uh, Easter dinner with my friend Vince Voison and his mom had just gotten back from the Boston marathon. So, uh, she inspired me to run a marathon. Like that was the first time that I'd seen like a real person, you know, not somebody on TV that had run a marathon. Uh, and I was like, wow, if Vince mom can run a marathon, then, you know, I, I can probably run a marathon. I'm like a 22 year old kid that's got time on his hands and, um, you know, I'm dedicated and I was, I was running every day at that point and was like, Hey, this is, this is something I want to do. And she was nice enough to give me a training packet. And that's the change that moment, that, that trip to Charlevoix, Michigan and, uh, Easter dinner with, uh, Vicky, and Vince changed my life because like, you know, you and I wouldn't be talking now had I, had I not take, taken that trip and decided to, to run Boston marathon just once. Uh, now I've <laughs> yeah. run it like 20, 20 times officially, even though I've paced it a couple times and it doesn't count for a finish, which I'm still bitter about. For some yeah. Reason. I would be better about that. Like that should, um, that should count. Yeah, dude. Tell me about you it. You ran the uh, race. Yeah, I ran the race and helped somebody achieve their dream. But that's but I didn't know that. They don't let pace. Yeah, man, you should tell everyone. I, I'm telling everyone. It's it's a. It doesn't make any sense. Rule. You start at the start it, line and you finish, and it's actually harder to hold someone else's pace. Like if you're a, like in my yeah. opinion, if you're a pace runner, like that's one of the hardest things you can do. Because if you're feeling yeah, good, it, you can't push, and if you're feeling bad, your 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 job is to hold that pace. Yes. Yeah, no, it is. It is. It is. And it's, it's, it's just a, it's such a cool thing to do though. Like, it's just, it's so cool. If people haven't ever checked it out, it's um, you can do it through like Achilles. They have like um, different programs. Um, I've done stuff with like um, visually impaired athletes, the guy, like, you know, some of the guys are running really fast. Like the one guy Chaz that I've run with is like a two thirty one marathon runner. So like you're, hauling butt yeah, to like try to keep up with these guys and another guy like brian reynolds is like a adaptive athlete he's a double amputee like um you know one of the first guys to break three hours in in the marathon at, with with that kind of 
um, uh, challenge and he's just a badass. Like, you know, and so like, yeah, it's, it's, it's a really cool thing. And, um, but yeah, so, but yeah, basically getting in to my story was, yeah, decided to run the Boston marathon once got hooked, um, decided to run all the big marathons in the same year. So I ran Boston and then decided to run Chicago. Um, my first marathon to qualify for Boston was Marine Corps. Um, did that on my first try, uh, ran 306. Then at Boston, decided to try to break three hours because I heard that would make you like a real marathoner, like in quotes, you know. Uh, ran 254 and then, you know, decided to run Chicago, um, Marine Corps again, New York. And then I heard about the JFK 50 miler and I just blew my mind like that. I, I in my head, I, I'd seen stuff about like the comrades marathon in South Africa, but I didn't know that, you know, people ran 50 miles in the U S. So that was the first time I learned about ultra marathons. And that was, I think 1996 or 1997. So I've been doing ultras, you know, since the late nineties. Um, and it's been a, it's been a crazy ride, man. Like I've, you know, set world records all over the all over the planet, uh, run on all seven continents, won marathons on all seven continents, have the Guinness world record for the fastest time ever run in Antarctica, uh, as Spider-Man, which all, uh, some of these have since been broken. Like the Spider-Man world record running a marathon with my son Pierce and a jog stroller has been broken. Um, I actually just saw a dude that ran a 431 mile pushing like a 55 pound kid, which just blew my mind. It's getting crazy. <laughs> Dude, the, it was so badass. Was and the so records badass. are so funny because you know they're going to get beaten, right? Like you just set yeah. the bar and now you're just letting someone else, not letting, but like. Yeah, but that's the whole point of a record, right? It's oh, like, for sure. But it's, you know, you look up world records and they're just, especially now, they're just continually getting just beaten. And some are yeah. goofy and some are really neat and some are inspiring and some yeah. are, you know, it's. But it's cool, and it puts just things on the map as far as, like, you pushed your son yeah. in the stroller, right? That was the – yeah. But, like, what a cool experience, and, like, he doesn't remember. But now right, he but can he, look back and, yeah. like – Yeah, he has a Guinness World Record or had one. Yeah, that's that's so cool. It's so neat. Um, yeah. I want to – I mean, I will not backtrack, but did you have to qualify – maybe you said this – for Boston at the time? Was it still a qualifying? Yeah. Okay, yeah, so yeah, it was yeah. it. I, so, so yeah, when I decided to run Boston, I didn't know you had to qualify. So I sent away my little – at that point, you sent away like a self-addressed stamped envelope to Boston, <laughs> and they would send you back like a mailing pamphlet, and it was like, hey, what's your qualifying time? And I was like, I don't have one of those. And they're like, well, you need – you need <laughs> it was one. basically like – you need one to run our race. And so I was like, Oh crap. So that's when I chose to do Marine Corps. Cause I figured it's really close to my house. Uh, if it goes bad, my parents can just pick me up along the course and like, <laughs> you know, no, no, I, I didn't have any money at that point. So I was like, you know, I don't, I don't have the ability to just go somewhere, you know, fast or whatever. I didn't even know that there was a difference between courses. You know, I was just like, okay, I'll just run a marathon close to my house. That's, um, you know, qualifier. And so I did. And, um, you know, you just look at the little scale and it said like, Hey, if you're 22 or 21 and you want to run Boston, you got to run sub three ten. So I was like, okay, fine. That's what I'll do. And I ran through like three Oh six and was like, okay, cool. Now I'm you're going to go to Boston. Yeah. <laughs> you make it sound so easy. Yeah. 
like and i didn't even know that's how naive i was i didn't even know that it was like a lifelong dream for people you know like that it was like something that you aspire to you know like i was just like oh that's what i want to do that's what i'm gonna do and it yeah it worked out yeah sometimes ignorance is bliss like if you don't know <laughs> you don't you know you don't know what you don't know and like it doesn't yeah it seems a lot more achievable when you don't know how hard it is. Like you're just like, Oh, that's the time I have to get. Cool. I'll go get that time. Yeah, exactly. It's kind of like when you've been in it a while and you're like, Oh, they cut the qualifying standard for the Olympic trials from 221 to 219. Oh, that's no big deal. It's just two minutes. And then when you're at that threshold and you realize like that two or three seconds per mile, when you're at your absolute maximum is like, yeah, that's just like if someone gave you a million bucks, you'd be like, okay, fine, but I can't do that. You yeah. Know? It's, so it's, it, it's, 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 yeah, exactly what you said. Like when you're just like, I, I don't know. And then you're like, okay, I'm just going to, it's kind of like relating everything back to pickleball. But like <laughs> when we played the guys for the, the, you know, gold medal match, it was like, these guys are really good. And I was like, I don't know who they are. They're just the next people up. You know what I mean? So like, I wasn't intimidated. I was just like, that's just the person in front of me. Like, I don't have any expectations. Like those guys got to beat me. Like, I don't, right. you know, like, I don't care who they are. Like they got to earn the points. Like, so I think sometimes that's good in a lot of things. Yeah. It's, I mean, yeah, I think that's there, there are good times for that. And then there's bad times for that. You know, you have to be prepared. You have to have, and this is a segue to the, uh, Barkley marathon, which you've yeah. been a part of. Um, first, I think just define what the Barkley marathon is, because I think people assume it's the Berkeley marathon and they couldn't be more different. Yeah. So it's actually, I think if I have it right, it's the Barkley marathons. And it's, oh, I think it uh, is marathons, plural. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of like little nuances. So uh, if, if, people in your audience don't know there's a pretty good documentary on Netflix about it. Uh, or, and there's just a bunch of documentaries about it actually that are all quite pretty good. Um, but it's a race that takes part in, um, frozen head state park, which is just <laughs> not spectacular. It's just a little park outside Knoxville, Tennessee. Like imagine your local little park near your house that you go to, to walk your dog sometimes that's frozen head state park the only thing that makes it really interesting is that there's a race there called um, the barkley marathons it usually takes place in early spring um a lot of times it took place on april fool's day because the race director is this guy named lazarus lake and he's one of the craziest coolest most unique people on the planet and he uh, there's no website for it. There's no entry for it. You have to like word of mouth, figure out how to get into the race. And then he only accepts like 40 people from all over the world. Uh, you have to be qualified. You have to take like an exam to get into the race. You have to have all this kind of experience. And then he, at that point, like you might get in, uh, or you might not, uh, usually once a year he takes in a sacrificial lamb, like, and gives them bib number one. Uh, I think he said the first time I applied that that was going to be me, but somebody else with worse statistics came in. So he gave them the bib, but, um, it's, it's a race that's supposedly a hundred miles, but it's more like 130 miles. 
Um, you have 60 hours to finish the race. It's uh, five laps around this park, Frozen Head State Park. Uh, there's no course markings. Uh, there's these books that are hidden all over the park that you have to find basically your page. Um, so each person gets assigned a number and you have to go to the book and pull your bib number out of the book on each lap. And then you get a new number for the another lap. So you can pull a different page. Um, I've never made it to the second lap. Um, so you get 12 hours per lap to cover 20 miles, which sounds like a long time, but it is not a long time. Uh, each, uh, loop of about 20 miles, which is more like a marathon actually, uh, is about 10,000 feet of elevation gain and it's all off trail. Uh, usually the conditions are terrible. It's like foggy or windy or rainy. Uh, I think one of the coldest moments I've ever been in my life was, uh, on top of a ridge line there with like 60 foot drops, zero visibility. Like I couldn't see my hand in front of my face, um, in sleeting rain, like 36 degrees Fahrenheit. Um, so just like that terrible, not quite snow, not quite rain, rain that just permeates everything and just makes you cold. Uh, and I couldn't see, and then ended up in a, in a cave with like three other dudes and all huddled in our space blankets deciding, you know, what we were going to do. And yeah, I was, it was at like 11 hours in and I still had like three books to find. And so like, that was, that was when I decided it was time to go home. And also there's no aid stations on the entire loop. Uh, so once you leave the camp, there's no aid. So you have to carry everything you're going to use for the entire 12 hours. Um, and, um, no one comes to get you if you get lost or hurt. So you have to, you have to figure out how you're going to get back. So when I decided to quit in that cave in 36 degree temperatures, it was a three hour trek back to the start finish area. Um, not knowing really where I was going and you can navigate with like compass and maps. So basically you have to, you have to be pretty good with navigation, but also just with being able to move fast on challenging, tricky terrain. Was ignorance bliss when it came to this? Well, no, I mean, I, I, I wasn't, I didn't go in blind. Like I knew, I knew what I was getting myself into. Um, what I, what a lot of people do when they're first going is you try to stay with somebody that's been there before. So like a veteran, um, and just kind of figure out where everything is based on, um, cause once you've been there a couple of times, you get a feel for the area. And that's basically what you have to do. If you want to do well at the race is, is really, uh, invest the time and energy to go and learn the park and learn, uh, you're not allowed to go to the park and navigate the trails and go off trail, uh, anytime except the race. So what a lot of people do is they go and run all the trails in the park that are accessible year round. So they have a really good feel of where they are in the park on the actual trails in the park, uh, so that they can always have those as a point of reference. Uh, I did not do that. Um, and so like I made a mistake two times in the same year where I went up the wrong trail. Um, yeah, just the wrong way. And so like th that race is such that if you, I made the mistake the first year of following somebody that had been there like three times. What I didn't realize is the guy had never finished more than one loop either because he kept getting lost. So like I thought I was doing the right thing by following someone that had been there before. 
What I didn't know was I was following somebody that had been there before and not done well. So like uh, what I should have asked, uh, which was the better question was, how'd you do last time? Not have you been here before? Um, and, you know, by the time I figured out that he didn't really know what he was doing, it was too late. You know, it's like 12 hours seems like a long time, but it's really not um, when you're out there. So, so that was my first mistake the first year, the second year, um, I thought I would go with some of the stronger runners and I just got dropped. And so like, that was just a matter of like, they were just so much better on technical terrain than me. So like, you know, that's something that if I go back, I need to improve on. Hey, Hey everybody. How's it going? I know you're in the middle of a great interview and I'm interrupting it, but I got to tell you about these two great offers from two of our great sponsors. Uh, my first sponsor mountain flow eco wax specifically what we're going to talk about because it's bike season is their bike lube the grease the wash the new line of bike products it's really it's literally taking the industry by storm uh, it's similar to their wax situation if you're not familiar with it but nearly all the products currently on the market are made from petroleum and whatever we're putting on our bike goes directly into the environment so what they're doing is making biodegradable plant-based lubes greases, washes. Go to mountainflow.com, use code out of bounds, save yourselves a couple bucks. And I'm telling you, I've been using this stuff for a while and it works exactly the same as all those horrible products do that are really bad for our environment, but they're great for our environment. Uh, they make a wet lube, a wax, an all weather lube, a dry lube, a bike wash degreaser. They sell it in a concentrate bike polish i suggest just getting the bike kit the whole enchilada it's got a towel it's got everything you need to work on your bike clean your bike again go to mountainflow.com use code out of bounds speaking of brands that we really like and that we really like working with who care about our planet uh, i've been talking about them for a couple weeks here it's geyser systems they make an off the road off the road off the grid fast compact portable hot shower clean your gear your dishes yourself all while using less than a gallon of water and we got a surprise for you this week we have a code it's an active code right now use code out of bounds save yourselves a couple bucks 30 day money back guarantee free shipping tons of customer support if you do have an issue phone email text lifetime warranty it comes in two versions a heated and a non-version and a non-heated version i'm telling you i'm in the van i don't know if you can hear this it's pouring rain right now but i'm in the van and it's been the solution it's i've been cleaner in the last two weeks than i have been in my last two years in the van and they care uh, they're literally using less than a gallon of water and gaining a seven to ten minute shower so go to geysersystems.com use code out of bounds Save yourself a couple bucks, and I can't wait to hear what you guys think of the product. And now, back to the episode, baby. Would you go back? Like, what's the appeal? Oh, yeah, what's the for appeal sure. for this? What, like, I don't. Uh, the appeal is just like it made me a better runner. Like, even though I didn't, I didn't succeed in like the traditional sense. And like, that's the other thing that your audience should know is like. The, the race has been around for 30 years and they've only had 14 or 15 finishers ever. So like most people fail, uh, it's just like where you're going to fail. Um, and like how long you get to be out there, uh, which is a real treat actually just to be out there with yourself. And so even though I failed, like the first year it taught me that I could go 12 or 14 hours without any assistance, which before that point I wasn't 
uh, aware that I could do that. And so like, that was pretty awesome. So that just opened up a huge world to me, like 15 hours on your own, like in the woods, like that's pretty badass. And so like last summer I did the FKT, which is like a fastest known time across Shenandoah national park, 36 hours on my own, like filtering my own water and everything. But I would have never tried that had I not done Barkley. So like, I feel like, you know, it's almost like failing forward, right? Like, yeah, I failed and I didn't have a good race compared to, you know, traditionally what people would think, but like it made me a stronger and better runner and more resilient. So like, yeah, okay. I didn't, I didn't win, but no one wins that race. And there's only ever one winner in a race too. So like, as long as I get something from it and I become better and continue to like grow my skill set, then okay. Like, uh, yeah, that's fine with me. Like th that's what I'm looking for. That's such a, like a wholesome response. Um, Cause it is, it is interesting as to why humans in general want to do almost unobtainable things, which, which this Barkley marathons would, would be arguably it's, um it's pretty unobtainable for, for, well, and it's designed that way. Like every time someone finishes, he makes it harder. Right. So, he doesn't want anyone to finish. That's, that's right. the goal. Well, No, he wants to see exactly how far people can go and, and finish. So like, I think if, if someone doesn't finish, like someone will eventually finish, like it's been three or four years now since someone's been able to finish, but it just takes like the right day and the right person. Um, and it's also, you know, it's people are continuing to get better and, and more efficient and, you know, fueling's better. And, and so like someone will finish again, but like, that's, that's what I think people are striving for. Right. Like, and even if you're, if you go and you do a little bit better than you did the time before, like that's, that's success to me. Yeah, it's those are things I watch and I'm like, no thanks. Like he could he could invite <laughs> That's me. That's what I thought too. Well, we are very different people, I think. But <laughs> he could invite me and pay me millions of dollars and I'd be like, I'm not even gonna start. Like I don't wanna take someone's slot. I don't wanna waste anyone's time. I don't wanna suffer like that. I love suffering, but like that is a whole nother level and it I love and they've done some documentaries on it, which is really cool and if you've never watched them like you said there's one on netflix i think there's a couple on youtube now and it's yep. like it's so wholesome and sweet and like the guy who runs it i don't know his name but he's just like this crazy local yokel and like it's so pure and he just it sounds and maybe i'm wrong but like something he just like started with his buddies one year and it just became like this cult thing and he keeps it pure by just having it be like invite only and like, yep. you have to fill, you have to take a test and like, they don't want, well, you have to take like an impossible test. I mean, right. It's just getting, I mean, it's basically like, yeah, I, I worked on that test for like a week and a half. And like, eventually I was like, I, I don't know. I don't know how to answer this. Like, <laughs> I, I was just honest. I was like, I've looked everywhere. I've Googled everything. I've talked to like PhDs and like, there's no answer. Like, and I think that's the whole point is like, a lot of time, like that's a lot, a lot of life. Like you go through all the work and there's no right answer. Like there's, there's just like what you think. And then you just got to put it down and, and you gotta, you gotta, you gotta eventually take action. Right. Like that's, that's how it works. Uh, this guy, I'm going to get him on the podcast and just get, I'll, I want to know everything about this guy. Cause he's, 
seems oh, to he's have a, it he's figured amazing. out. <laughs> well, yeah. And like he also it's it's Lazarus Lake and he uh, also puts on the Bigs Backyard Ultra, which is another really cool event that I've done where you just kind of keep running until everyone quits. Right. You yeah. Run. That's like a last man standing, right? It's exactly a last man standing or last person standing because a lot of times person. the women kick our ass. Right. Yeah. So like, yeah, it's it's awesome. Like, you know, Maggie or Courtney or um, people like that, you know, just to be out there competing against them is is awesome. Yeah, they have one of those for skiing now in uh, Maine. And it's the last oh, nice. last skier standing. And you do, you know, you do ski touring laps. It's only on like call it 800 foot of vertical, maybe a thousand foot of vertical laps, but you do one lap per hour until you, oh, nice. until you can't, until everyone can't, until it. everyone yeah. quits. And, uh, I don't remember who won last year. Brody won last year, Fisher athlete. And, okay. And there was like, he, it was the last two were like him and this local, like no, okay. na- like no name, not a pro anything. Yeah. That's what's awesome about the uh, last person standing is like, you don't have to be a super strong athlete. Like you just have to be willing to keep going. Like, and, and I think it makes it fair because like if you finish your lap in 20 minutes, then fine, you get 40 minutes to rest, but someone can finish in 59 minutes and, and be back out there in a minute and you're, you're back together again. Yeah. You're right back like clean (laughs) slate. We got to do another lap. Yeah. So for me, that was, that was hard because I've always used like my speed to just be an advantage. Like, okay, like I'm going to break this person or, uh, Oh, they got ahead of me. I'm going to catch them up or whatever. And like, there's no catching up. So it's like, you have to be strategic about what you're eating, when you're eating, when you're going to the bathroom. Oh, your bathroom time counts too. There's no time out for like, Hey, I got a, you know, number two, you know, it's like, you got to figure that into your, your plan. How many, is it it's lap based right same thing lap based yeah you get one per yeah. hour how many laps did you do um when i won the i did the quarantine backyard ultra at the beginning of the pandemic in 2020 and i did 63 laps 262 miles uh in 63 hours um yeah and beat well i didn't beat i competed against um I think over 2000 people all around the world. And it came down to me and this other guy, uh, for 18 hours, uh, just back and forth. How do you, well, let me ask this. Is there something you wish you had done prior? Like, would you have done anything differently going into that race event? We'll call it an event. Oh, well, I mean, I started the race with just a box of goo, like a literally, I took a Hoka box and threw some goo in it. And then my wife saw Maggie Guterol's like set up with like this huge like tent and like heaters and like a refrigerator and like um, a seat. And so like had I had I known what I did like the whole first day, I just crewed myself. Like I just went in my house and just got food and drink because it was like virtual. So like you just had to check in on the little computer every hour. Uh, I probably would have had a setup, but it worked out great. I wouldn't have changed it because like my whole neighborhood came together and like, uh, everybody was home because of the pandemic. And so, uh, our neighbors put up like a tent and like, we had like a setup or, and I ran around a 0.4 mile loop around my neighborhood. So I just did that for 262 miles. I didn't go anywhere else. I didn't do anything. So, yeah. So it was like a three minute type thing. Um, yeah, it was, it was really 
it was really compact. Um, so I, I'm, I'm glad that I didn't really overthink it. You know, it was just, it was, it was, it was really pure. Like I was just out there, like seeing how far I could go. I would have such a hard time doing that mentally, doing that little loop. Like you had no stimulation, arguably. No, no, not, not true. Like I got to see all my neighbors. I got to see the sun come up. I got to see the cars go by. I got to see the trash trucks come. I got to, you know, watch people go to like the pool or, you know, do actually people weren't really doing anything because it was the pandemic. So everything was kind of locked down, but I got to see the animals going around and, uh, and eventually people started coming out and, you know, being a part of it, cheering me along the route. And um, yeah, I, I thought it was awesome. And I've done, you know, I've done indoor, I set the indoor world record on a 200 meter track. I've done 50 kilometers, 100 kilometers on a treadmill. I've run for 24 hours, 48 hours on a treadmill. So like, you know, I've, I'm used to those type of, um, you know, mentally challenging things. Where does your brain go? When you're, let's say, running on a treadmill for 48 hours straight. Oh, well, a lot of times, like, I'll, uh, I'll, I, w- I played Madden uh, while I did it uh, the one time. <laughs> so I was, I was playing, like, uh, yeah, Xbox, uh, watching Netflix, uh, listening to podcasts. Um, okay, so you can do whatever you want when you're doing these type of challenges. I'm, well, it depends. Like uh, on the 200 meter track, you know, I set the record on a like an indoor track where, um, yeah, I was just I was just running, you know. So it was like two hours, 27 minutes on a 200 meter track, like with no headphones, nothing, you know, a couple other people in the race, you know. So I was just passing people every 45 seconds. It's so does your Strava just like those would be fun Strava yeah. segments, just yeah, like yeah. one. <laughs> Just pace. Yeah. Basically one just loop of a pace of just. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty much. That's, that's such a bizarre career to have. I mean that in the kindest way, but like these records are like, like what a weird, amazing, mentally like challenging list of attributes you have. Like I Googled, I think you were over, you're over 300 marathons at this point. Yep. How many ultras do you think you have? Uh, I don't know. Probably over 100, 150 or something. I'd love to see how many years you've spent running. Like the actual time. Like if you've hit a year of actual oh. running of your life or like, you know, if we averaged oh. out the hours of. Oh, that's a good question. Yeah, I don't know. I feel like Camille would probably have that in one of her spreadsheets. But I, Yeah, I, like I, 300 I, marathons at three hours each. You're probably like 230 now but you know well, no but i race like 40 or 50 times a year like since like 2000 and like since 2000 basically so like yeah i've been i've been running a lot of volume and a lot of like usually i race like 1500 to 2000 miles a year so um what? yeah and then this year i ran across the country so that was like 3324 miles over 61 days averaging like 52 miles a day so um yeah i have some good volume this year already why multiple races because arguably you'd be faster if you did one a month right so why yeah. why multiple like basically 
quantity over quality. We'll just put it, we'll sum it like that. And I'm not saying your races aren't quality because you're, you're a premier athlete, but if you just focused on six of them a year, your times would be X, right? Well, maybe, or you could be hurt or you could lose motivation or you could miss out on that perfect race that you had that you might not have had. So like when I set my PR of 217.49 in the marathon, um, at the grandma's marathon, the next week I went and ran Badwater and finished third in in 26 hours, you know? So like, you know, I might not have had that experience at Badwater had I not, you know, done, done the marathon PR. Um, so yeah, I, I, I will, my wife will say, you know, we would be able to retire had, um, she had a dollar for every person that said, you know, if you would only, you know, focus on one or two races a year, uh, but my counter is always like, hey, man, I want to have as many experiences and opportunities as possible. And I want to put myself out there. And so, um, yeah, if, if I if I, uh, you know, instead of having a PR of 217, I had a PR of 212, like, OK, maybe. Um, but I think I had uh, way, way more um, impact and uh, reach more people and got a chance to have more experiences than the people that only focus on one or two races a year and, and hope that they have the right day. You know, like, I think that's great for some people, but that's, that's not, that's not something that would motivate me and keep me excited. And, uh, I think a lot of the people that did that, like, I, I know a lot of those, uh, men and women that, that were doing that and I'm still racing and still here and still excited about being out there. And, um, you know, a lot of those people aren't even, you know, part of the sport anymore. So, um, you know, I think for me, it's, it's worked out really well and, uh, it's allowed me to, you know, continue to be excited and, uh, pumped about, about the sport and about continuing to grow in it. And, um, yeah, I, I don't, I don't think I'd want to change it. Uh, and, and I'm glad that I, I did it the way that I did and continue to, you know, do it the way that I am. How do you recover? Uh, I think that's one of my, my, uh, specialties is like, I, I feel like that's, that's something that's all kind of allowed me to do this. And, um, I I'd say for me, it's, it's pretty straightforward. It's like, uh, eating. I think the biggest thing I do is try to keep moving after I'm done with an event. I think so many people just kind of shut down and don't do anything. Um, after a really long event, I like to do something super hard and fast the next day. So, uh, I created like the depletion mile that I usually do after a hundred mile race. Um, and I saw that they kept the tradition at hard rock. So I was pumped to see that, um, Billy Yang and crew like kept that going for me. Cause I'd done hard rock the last three times they held it. And, uh, the next day we go to like the Silverton track at like 9,900 feet and like do a hard, all you can do uh, mile race. And so like, um, yeah, for me doing something hard and fast the next day, like after I did that quarantine backyard ultra that, uh, I passed out for like 45 minutes, uh, had some deadlines for work, uh, got those done. Uh, and then later that night, like, I don't know, eight hours later did like a sub seven minute mile, um, you know, just to try to flush my legs out. So, um, I think keeping moving, uh, eating as healthy as possible. I'm a vegetarian, like a vegan at the moment, except for honey. So I guess like, um, honey is the one animal product I'm eating now. Um, I've got and, a theory on honey. 
Oh yeah, tell me. If you're a vegan, you can, this is such a hot take and it's so not right. But if you're a vegan, you can eat honey because you're not eating animal. You're just eating a product that they make. So you're technically just stealing. Yes. You're a, <laughs> a, like a thief. Yeah. You're just a thief. Like, uh, yeah. I mean, I, I, I feel like it, it's not, yeah, it's not like an egg, right? Right. Like, Cause yeah, it's not like. But it is like, it is their food source, um, but they make excess of it. Yeah. Always. I mean, no one's perfect. We're all doing our best. But I, my, yeah. my, one of my closest friends is vegan and I'm like, you can eat honey, dude. You're just stealing. And like, yeah, that's kind of okay. Like it's not, but like, you know, no one's being, so that's my hot take on honey. Yeah, so yeah, I'm yeah. sorry for Well, I guess we're stealing from the plants too, right? We're stealing their seeds. Right. And like, so... Yeah, I mean, if that's the case. Um, but anyhow, yeah. So uh, I was eating eggs until after the transcon, and like now I'm I'm not eating eggs for the moment. So like, yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's it's. I feel like that helps also for me. Like I didn't know that that's not something that everyone um, you know can do or wants to do, but I feel like that's been a big a big factor in helping me recover. And then um, I think the other thing is like you and I were just talking about, but it, I'm always excited for the next thing, dude. So like, I don't want to like just lay around and like take time. And, uh, I want to get out there and, and get after it and get on to the next thing. So I think that helps keeps me motivated and, uh, helps me get back out there as quick as I can. Let's talk about this run across the country. Where did the idea come from? Why? And we'll just start with those two questions right now. Sure. I mean, the, the idea, uh, came from Forrest Gump, man. So like I, I saw the movie and I was like, I want to do that someday. Well, I didn't know that people did that. And then when I did, and then when I became a runner, I was like, oh man, someday that would be so cool if I, you know, have the fitness and the ability to do that. Uh, and then it was just been percolating and then I've been talking about it forever. And, um, in 2020, I did a thing called the Spartan games, um, mm -hmm. which was like, they were trying to find like the fittest people in the world. It was kind of during the beginning of quarantine and they brought like a little bubble of us together, 12 men, 12 women. And I ended up getting hurt. Um, and I had thought about in 2019, I ran across Israel as kind of like a test to run across the country and set the FKT on the Israeli national trail. Um, and then in 2020, I was getting ready to, try to run across the country. And then when I got hurt at the Spartan games, I was like, I'm for sure doing it now. And so, uh, I healed from a back injury, hired a guy for our job. I work as an international ship broker and I'm a partner in a company that does that. Um, so I had to hire someone to basically take over my position, um, so that I could, you know, focus on the run. And, um, I ended up still working, but not as, you know, as, as hard as I, or not, I shouldn't say as hard. I shouldn't say as like timely as, as I usually do. Um, and then I decided to go for it. And so, you know, that's kind of how it started was germinated from Forrest Gump and kind of like growing my skill set as a runner. And then, um, you know, doing the small project across Israel, which was a thousand kilometers, 600 miles in 10 days. So like a uh, hundred kilometers a day. 
um, over some pretty rough terrain, mountains and desert and um, yeah, that kind of stuff. And, and just recovering from the injury and then getting ready to go for it. And then the other thing I wanted to do was wait for a time when I could do it. I didn't want to do it during the pandemic because I wanted to kind of see the the countryside, but I also wanted to meet the people and have that kind of Forrest Gump experience where, you know, you have, you know, 10 people join you and then all of a sudden it's 15. And then, you know, by the end I had, you know, 50, 60, 100 people, you know, running with me at a time. And um, yeah, I mean, it was everything I dreamed it would be like, it was, it was unbelievably um, unique and cool and uh, diverse and challenging and um, yeah, it, it was, it was a culmination of everything that I'd learned over the course of my career too. Like, you know, how to manage blisters, how to manage people, how to manage yourself, um, you know, how to deal with, uh, adversity, you know, when people throw hamburgers at you or people, you know, drive their cars at you, or when you, you know, think that you have a, you know, injury that's going to sideline you, um, you know, how, how does that work? Um, and then, I did it for charity also. So I've become, uh, over the years, I've become, uh, really enamored with trying to help people through my running and through what I'm doing in, in these adventures. And so, uh, for me, like I wanted to set like kind of a big audacious kind of scary goal. Like I've never asked people for more than I think four or $5,000. And, uh, I put the goal at a hundred thousand dollars being like, Oh my God, that's like such a big number uh and wasn't sure we were going to be able to get it and i think as of right now it's uh over $116,000 that we've raised uh for clean water projects for world vision usa and um each each of those dollars is going to impact people and i think the total of people right now is over 2300 people that are going to um receive clean water because of you know the donations and uh what we did during this run and uh hopefully it continue like now that i've hit that threshold of a hundred thousand i'm like wow wouldn't it be cool to try to get to a million you know like think about how many people you know instead of 2500 or 2000 people it could be like twenty five thousand people like that would just be insane like that's that's like half of a football stadium man like, yeah it's you know like it's that's really, crazy it's really cool how one person and again we'll just say you because we're talking about you and although it takes a giant team behind you to make it all work we're not taking right. any credit but like one person can affect 2500 people 3000 people and it's yeah. such a cool avenue that athletes like yourself have to be able to do these things like it's you you live a privileged life. It's not easy. You bust your ass. You have a job. You're a pro athlete. But like the fact that you can take something arguably very selfish like running and help other people because marathons are selfish. Ultras are selfish. It's it's a battle versus yourself. Um, right. And continue to like find these charities and and like stand for something that you actually believe in all while slowly like i don't want to say patting your ego that's not the right word but like slowly conquering the goals that you've had since a child like since you like watched forrest gump like that's like yeah. the coolest thing you can ever do because it's real and it's pure and that's what makes it work right like oh for sure man and it's like and it's motivating too like and it's cool to see how many people 
uh, I think what they told me was that we had the most individual donors for a project that they've ever had. So like there was over a thousand individual people that had donated to help collect that amount. Of, so like, not only did we help the people, the, the 25,000, uh, 25, well, not 25,000 yet, dude, hopefully 2,500 people, but we, um, we also got a thousand people that might not have ever thought about clean water to think about it and say like, wow, this is actually a worthwhile thing. Like this is something that can have a huge downstream impact and like change the outcomes of people's lives for future generations. Like this is, I mean, that's, that's, that's a huge thing too. Right. Like just like we were talking about it earlier, but you don't know what you don't know. And like, it's, it's hard if you haven't ever been outside our country to realize like, like, it's just crazy. And you know this from living in a van, but like having like access to water is huge and it's a big pain in the butt, man, for a lot of people around the world. Like I'm sure like you spend time and energy to like fill up your reserves. That you it's a resource. You just, yeah. It's a resource. Yeah, like it's not like, endless. Well, yeah, exactly. Like, and people just go to their faucet and turn it on and it just comes out and you're just like, Oh, this is, this is easy. But like, for some people in the world, like they spend their whole day just going to get water so that they can survive. And like, if we can make that better for them, that's huge. Yeah. I mean, it's happening in the States. Like, Oh, Michigan West, Michigan yeah, doesn't mean, have clean water. Like it's like a crazy, like it's, it's 2022. Like we're living in the future and like people don't have clean drinking water is like a whole nother podcast. Like what? Yeah. Like in the United States of America and then let alone going to other countries and traveling and like, yeah, it's crazy. It's absolutely insane. Yeah. Like it's, it's, it sucks. It's disheartening. And it's like, it's again, people like you putting this, what would be such a simple thing on the map and like reaching 1000 people who then tell two of their friends who then, you know, and it just, that's how, that's how change happens. That's what we shed light yeah, on. Hopefully, and, hopefully. Yeah. And, and it's I mean, like, good. Yeah. And it, no, I'm just saying like, in. It's, uh, you know, it, it, and it doesn't have to be big. Like, it's like, you know, all of us can do a little bit, you know, and like, that's what's so powerful is like, if everyone donates a dollar to something like, it's like when the bills like were in the playoffs and like, they lost with like 13 cents and like all the cheese fans donated like 13 cents to the, yeah, it's crazy. the, the, like, um, the foundation for the bills, like they got $3 million, dude, like yeah, 13 cents, like times a million people. That's a lot of money. It's crazy. And it's like, it shows how much power we have. It's just getting people to, you know, care about the right thing sometimes, which can be frustrating, but it's very, um, it's good. I think people are seeing it and people are donating and I think there's great foundations out there and, you know, we're just shedding light on them. And that's what we have to continue to do is like, be the spokesman for people who don't have a spokesman. Right. Or like, just to like, there's something too that, um, uh, my agent and I have, uh, talked about this guy, Josh Cox. I don't know if you know him or not, but mm -hmm. like, um, people don't like, it's almost like when you buy a car, right? Like you like all of a sudden start seeing that car everywhere. But before you've bought that car, like you don't like, I couldn't tell you like the Kia tell you, right? Like we don't own that, but our friend just bought one. And now I see that car everywhere. Right. But like, 
um before that i was like i never saw it. it's kind of like i we have a subaru outback right like so i see that car everywhere now right but like i don't notice the um you know jeep wrangler you know i guess that's actually when you do notice but like yeah but it's a good um, analogy i like where you're going with it but like the same thing is like you don't usually remember something until you hear or see it seven times i think is what it's it said so like if someone's trying to sell you like a new product right like if there was a new flavor of goo like you know like the salted lime like you we could show somebody the salted lime six times and they'd be like yeah goo has a new flavor it's salt peppermint i can't remember you know but like the seventh time for some reason that's when people remember you know so yeah it's it's interesting it's fascinating and you are an insane human being i mean that in the most polite way <laughs> for, <laughs> for doing these things and then just having like a charitable sense and thinking wow i want to do this and i can continue to do this and how can i help other people so like thank you for that um because well thanks man yeah i mean i thought that um the other thing too is like i think if you can show that like as a you know a higher end athlete or elite athlete like i feel like you should have things that you care about right like it uh and um you know there's also like i work with protect our winters right like so like uh i think that they just do great stuff you know like they're they're trying to you know protect what we like to utilize right like so if you want to go out on the trails and and be in nature like you need it to be there so like um you got to stand up for the stuff you believe in yeah it's really funny not maybe not funny but like obviously we're in the outdoor space and over at the collective we're all big skiers and snowboarders and we'll post something about protect our winners and there's always someone who comments who's like stay out of politics or like why do snowboarders <laughs> care about and i'm like do you guys not realize like one who takes time out of their day to like talk shit to somebody on the internet like that's insane to me but two is like we should care about these things and like we're not all perfect like you know i i rode my dirt bike for hours yesterday like that's where i am right now i'm like i'm burning two-stroke oil like i yeah i'm not perfect and like but we can all do a little bit like I have a van that runs off solar like this whole podcast is being run off clean energy right now. Like, well, your side. Right. But, <laughs> right, 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 right. But like, it's just like, let's do what we can. Let's care about things that I think everyone should agree with. Like, yeah, that the climate matters. And like yeah. it is, again, a whole nother podcast, which I think Jabber just had the president or ceo of protect our winners on uh his show Oh, awesome so i think oh, cool. they okay. have a big episode coming out i don't know if it came out yesterday or it's coming out next week but like i think he said it it's what is done is done so now we can only worry like we can't go back 30 years it's not gonna happen right so like we have to continue like what can we change what little impact can we have now as you know it goes back to a million people donating 13 cents like not everyone right. has to go buy a a hybrid car or an electric vehicle. Like you don't have 70 grand. I don't have 70 grand to buy an electric vehicle. Like I don't have it. But like right. maybe I can donate my change, my 32 cents when I go to buy a Pepsi to protect our winners or what like feed right. the corporation, feed the you know, feed the people that care. It's right. it's the little things and I it's cool to care. And I think, yeah. I think that's changing. I think people are 
it used to not be cool to care. And you used to just be whiny and like, and it's like, no, 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 this matters. Like for your kids, for my friend's kids, for like me in 40 years, like, well, that's what I was going to say. Like, I was just listening to a thing on the Rich Roll podcast about like the Centurion Olympics, right? Like, dude, that's, I want to, I want to be that person too, man. Like, I want to still be out there enjoying that space. Like, I'm 48 now. I want to be enjoying it in 50, 60 years, man. Like, yeah. Yeah, I, I don't want to. I, I still want there to be mountains with snow on them and, and like seasons. Like, yeah, and it's I, just I want all that stuff. It seems so simple. Like, wow, I like seasons and I want like I just read a thing that we don't have like rainwater is no longer technically clean. Like it's not drinkable anymore because Well, that's weird. Yeah, I didn't know that. Because our world is so polluted that like there's just forever chemicals in it. So like, oh, man, those people on a loan are going to die. Like, right. But that? like now they're going to have to have like filters. Like it's just going to be like a required thing that you just like that's it doesn't count as one of your 10. It's like bear spray and like a water filter life straw. Now. Yeah. Like it's but it's like, OK, so that's happened. We can't go back in time. How can we try and continue to make things better? So it's seems yeah. like a simple concept, but who knows? Um, I don't want to keep you too long. I want to ask you specifically one, and this is maybe a selfish question, but there's a lot of new sneakers coming out specifically with marathons. Um, I know you're not a Nike athlete, but they've got that shoe that like literally boosts performance. <laughs> yeah. I run for Hoka. Right. I know that, but yeah, I want to talk about these shoes, not necessarily a pitch for Nike. We'll talk about Hoka too. Speed goat saved my ankles for my entire life. Speed goat mids for life. Dad shoes. All right. Um, nice. How do you feel about them as a runner that like we're getting to the point where everyone's shoe technology is literally making records be broken? If that question yeah. makes sense. Yeah. I mean, I think it's just part of the evolution of shoes, right? Like, I mean, I think the people in like, uh, like, Roger Bannister would probably be like, oh, the dude's shoes in the 60s are so much better than the shoes that I had. Like, if I would have had those shoes and I had that surface, you know, I would have run, you know, so much faster. Like, I don't know. I think it's just part of the game, man. Like, I think it's just, just like, it's just evolution, right? Like, they, like it's going to, you know, eventually everyone will have the same, you know, technology and like, I mean, at Hoka, we have a carbon plate. I think it works pretty well. And like, you know, I'm, I'm happy with it. And, um, you know, if, if Nike has something different, that's great. I'm sure New Balance has something and Puma has something and Adidas has something and, uh, on probably has something great and Speedland and, you know, like, yeah, everybody's got something. And, um, just because a shoe works for one person doesn't mean it's going to work for everyone. And yeah, I, I, I don't stress about it. Do you think it should be regulated or no? Um, I think if it's an unfair advantage, like then, yeah, there's, I think that they already did. Like there was one pair that had too big a stack height or something. Um, there was a that, shoe that was literally like creating energy. I don't know which yeah. one, but like, well, there was like a shoe, like maybe 10 or 15 years ago, Spira. I don't know if you remember that. They no. had like two guys that like 
they paid like a thousand dollars a mile to blitz the Boston Marathon and they had springs in the shoes. And like I saw those guys at the starting line and I was like, wow, that's crazy. Those guys are going hard. Like they were just dropping everyone and like I'd never seen them before. And so like, I mean, there's been shoes like this in the past. Like I've been around the sport for a while and I think it'll all just work out. And I, I'm not really stressed about it. I know like, you know, some people have gotten up in arms about it, but I don't know. I think you just get as fit as you can and um, still got to be your day. You, yeah. You got to, you got, you still got to run the race. And, you know, if, you know, if, if you run a little bit faster in one pair of shoes or another, that's fine. But there are guys like, you know, Bill Rogers and those guys are basically running in like, you know, Tarawar sandals and kicking ass, you know, like, um, so I think if you do the work, you're going to get the results and, you know, just, yeah, just, just run and see what happens. Love it. What's next for you? Where do you see, where do you see yourself in five years, sir? <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, um, I mean, I think the next, the next thing on the calendar, I was supposed to be doing the Leadville mountain bike race this weekend, but I got COVID on Monday. So that got canceled. Um, I'm hopefully doing the triple bypass, uh, cycle race in Colorado, um, the 20th. Um, and then I think I'm going to do some marathons in the fall. I might be pacing some, uh, Achilles athletes, uh, for Chicago and New York, and then maybe running the age group world championships in London. Uh, I got to see how my legs feel. They're still a little bit hollow and then, um, hopefully going pro and pickleball. So like that's, uh, that's a big thing. And then I've been super, uh, into CrossFit. And so I'd like to kind of get, um, get my strength back. I sacrificed all my muscles to the running gods, uh, over the course of the transcon. Um, so I'd like to, I'd like to find my muscles again, <laughs> find my muscles again. Uh, cause they're, they're gone right now. Um, and, and then I want to continue to like be fit and healthy. And I'd love to, I'd love to, you know, see what our kids are up to. Like I I'm really excited about being around this fall and, and watching them do, um, American football and cross country. And, um, you know, they're 16 and 13. So I want to, I want to be here for the, for these years and, and watch them continue to grow and, um, train, train our dogs, Rosie and bash to be a little bit, uh, less barky. Uh, I don't know if everyone heard them on the podcast, but they were in the background a bit and, um, and then, yeah, continue to continue to evolve, man. I want to be a good, uh, husband and spouse and, and grow our business and, um, continue to represent, um, you know, the companies that, uh, work with me as well as I can. And, and I'd love to continue to be a pro athlete. I think, um, you know, I'm 48, but, uh, I think I'm out there as much as anyone and, uh, excited to be a part of the community and, and want to, I want to see it continue to grow and, and be successful. That's phenomenal. Uh, sponsors to thank, uh, we have to thank Goo cause they created this relationship and bridged the gap so that we could chat. Uh, yeah, man, for sure. Goo and all those guys. Thank you very much. Um, you know, I've got a laundry list of, of sponsors to thank. So I just want, I, I, I try to keep it less of a commercial and more of a conversation. I'll just say thanks to all the sponsors. Thanks to all the people that uh, support me. And um, thanks to everyone in your audience for letting me have a couple moments of your time and appreciate the, uh, the opportunity to be here.
Yeah, happy to have you. And last question, where can people follow what you're doing? Uh, so I'm on social media uh, quite a bit. Um, I'm at Mike Wardian. That's M-I-K-E-W-A-R-D like dog, I-A-N like Nancy on Twitter and Instagram and Michael Wardian on Facebook. Um, I do TikTok too, but not really. Um, and um, I think that's about it at the moment. Like, uh, oh, and I'm on LinkedIn also, um, just Michael Wardian. Um so yeah, you can find me there. And then I have a website, mikewardian.com if people want to go there, but it's kind of generic. <laughs> well, Mike, thank you again for your time. Thank you for your just pure being a wholesome human being. I appreciate the conversation. Hey man, thanks very much. I appreciated it too. It was fun to chat with you and get to know you a little bit better. You too, man. Thank you.